Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, as always, joined by Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst, and the best person to have on the podcast right now because he's going to tell us what he saw with his quarterback eye about USC's two freshman QBs who fans got their first look at Saturday in the Trojans' spring showcase, spring game, whatever you want to call it. We will cover every angle of the spring game and get into all that. First, Max, how you doing? What up, Brian? I am doing doing solid, doing solid. It was fun to watch some USC ball. Great to see some fans back in the stands finally. No, few fans, doing good. few fans, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to get into all that. There's a lot of fun topics to discuss, but we have to be respectful of the of the topical news of the week and uh, just some, some very sad news in the Trojan community as Coach Clay Helton announced on Sunday that former USC offensive lineman Chris Brown who was a two-year starter at guard for the Trojans, has passed away at age 24. Obviously, many USC fans will will kind of parallel that with uh, with losing Max Turk last year at an also very young age and just uh, another tragedy. And, I mean, whether it's, it's an athlete or just anyone at that age, it's just, it just seems unfathomable that someone's life is over that quickly. Uh, I covered Chris for one year. He was he was always kind of very quiet with us in the media, but but always polite, always nice. I wouldn't say I got to know him all that well, but Max played with him. So what was your recollection of being a teammate of Chris Brown? Yeah, I was a teammate of Chris, and I was a buddy of his too. And uh, Ryan and I were talking off air a little bit. It's it's weird, it's eerie, it's sad, it's terrible to kind of sit here once again on a podcast and have very similar comments to the, that of kind of what I said about Max Turk. Yeah, I ran in. Similar circles as Chris, we were we were bud we were good buds and um, some good amount post college as well when he was pursuing the Chargers and uh, to a man every single teammate if you see on social media they everyone has nothing but great things to say about Chris Brown like you said he's a little bit of a, a shy guy um, he was just kind of a, a wholesome dude but. Um, was a fan favorite amongst his teammates, was a fan favorite amongst the boys, always down for a good time, loved, loved football, was a true kind of offensive lineman when you, when you think about who he is. And um, yeah, just super sad uh, thinking about his family, those that were on the sidelines and might be, might be more, more locked into the program. Chris's dad was an absolute fan favorite on the sidelines at practices, the nicest man you'll ever meet the most passionate, but in the best way possible dad you'll ever meet, which was kind of funny, so to speak, because yeah. Chris was extremely low-key. Ryan said shy, I would agree with that, <laughs> but Chris was very low-key, which is why he was a fan favorite amongst his uh, peers. But super sad to, to hear that, thinking of his family. His dad was uh, a fan favorite. I know he's got uh, a family that's, that's more than lost. He's got a bunch of buddies, myself included, that uh, – we're shocked to hear the news. Um, I heard it Sunday morning like yourself and absolutely heartbreaking and heartbreaking for the Trojan family that we've had to kind of do this rodeo uh, two times in a calendar year, which when it should never, uh, never have to happen. But rest in peace, Chris Brown, all-time guy, absolute fan favorite. Anyone that he came across is a better person uh, because of his presence in, uh, in the world the past 24 years. Good stuff, Max. There's been no details released as to the cause or anything out will obviously come out in time but uh certainly all that matters is that uh, just a, a true tragedy and and like you said uh can't imagine what his family and his close friends are going through and it's you know he, even for us reporters it's, it, it gets surreal when you cover a guy and you have 
you have interactions that you that you can reflect back on and you think man that, that guy's got a whole life ahead of him and obviously you would never expect this but even when it happens you just can't process it and i felt the same way when uh ty jordan the utah running back uh died a few months back and and uh because i had gone out to texas and spent time with him and uh, it just it just seems like it was yesterday and but it's uh yeah, a, dif- a different life. Totally. So, and it, anyways, one last yeah, one last little comment there. Yeah, for me personally, yeah, I saw him uh, many many times post college, and me and him both were actually in this past year. I recently transitioned into the commercial real estate world, and Chris was trying to get in it as well, and so we were part of a lot of the many the same kind of Trojan networking phone calls. Chris was trying to get down a different path, and I think he just started a new job a couple months ago. So. Finally, kind of starting the, the, the post-football chapter, only for it to end. Too soon, for sure. But yeah, rest in peace, Chris. And yeah, thinking about his family's for sure. But an awesome awesome teammate, an awesome friend. I know a video uh, was reposted, and I guess the Pac-12 Network had played up before about his uh, musical abilities. Was that something that uh, his teammates were well aware of? Chris Brown's favorite time uh, was stagecoach, which comes after the, the week after spring ball. And a bunch of us over the years got together and got houses down in the Palm Springs area. And Chris is like a legitimate guitar guitar player. That's what he did in his rookie show. We're talking, I don't know if he sung much, but we're talking like, at least from my non-musical ears, he was legit um, and loved playing. We'd bring it in the <laughs> locker room every once in a while. And uh, just when, like I said, we we're just hanging out with the boys uh, when it wasn't football time. Uh, Chris uh, usually had, had a couple, couple beers uh, next to him and a guitar as well and was always uh, a fan favorite amongst <laughs> anyone. So the music side was, was definitely a, a cool cool passion for Chris, and we all uh, reaped the benefits of his uh, abilities for sure. Well, I'm sure many good memories will carry on and endure for, for you and his other, other teammates and their friends. And, again, we have a lot of fun stuff to discuss today, but I just thought – we had to be respectful of, of the uh, that heavy news and, and uh, try and give us some perspective. So appreciate your insight, Max. Let's let's move forward to the recap of the weekend, the spring game. And it's it's weird to think that you know the, the spring showcase was Saturday and they still have two more weeks to go. That, that was only week three of spring ball. So people may think that that was the culmination of spring practice. It was really kind of the middle point. But I know that Clay Helton the city wants to use the last two weeks to really – focus on the young guys a lot and give them a lot more spotlight. So it, it may have been some form of culmination for some guys and what they were building up to, but we'll see how it plays out. But anyways, you know, we have a list of topics we've talked about, but let me just start big picture like we always do. What was the one thing that you just walked away from Saturday thinking your, your major takeaway from that spring showcase? Major takeaway from the spring showcase. Uh, I'm a quarterback guy, so I'm going to stick there. And, uh, I guess the, my heart breaks for Mo Hassan. I think that, that, that first and foremost, yeah. um, he's a guy that through social media over the past couple of years got to know him a little bit. And from what I saw, all of that drive and a half, it looked like it was his backup job to lose. And if Keaton Slovis were to go down, hopefully that never happens this year, that he would get a legitimate shot to play and succeed. And he showed that through the first drive and a half. I mean, looking back, uh, the check down that he did to uh, Ingram that then Ingram takes for about 50 yards. That's the check down that Keaton Slovis should have hit the drive earlier when he uh, threw his interception. So the backup walk-on giving the starter mm. a little bit of uh, 
kind of a, a, a taste of what he should have done, only to then come back the next one. And I mean, he tore his ACL on a very basic cut, and it's almost like not even a cut really. But uh, that's the first one that sticks out, and then obviously kind of the the trickle down effect of what does that mean for the true freshman quarterbacks. And I know we'll get into that, so I won't say uh, everything, but I think that the intrigue of the backup quarterback was changed uh, th- throughout that day and then is certainly different now knowing that uh, Mo Hassan is, is out for the season. Yeah, just for fans who may not know much about Mo Hassan, he joined the program last year as a walk-on grad transfer, had a really uh, well-traveled football career at this point, had started at Syracuse as a, as a walk-on, didn't play at all that first year, goes to Coffeyville Community College in Kansas, which is one of the bigger football JUCOs in the country, Plays there, gets in the five games, gets some experience. Uh, ends up at Vanderbilt, is there for a couple of years. Actually makes his start his last year there in 2019. And then comes to USC, and it, it was really just viewed as a, a, a nice depth addition last year. Because um, obviously USC had Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink, and Mo Hassan was going to be depth. And then, you know, coming into the spring camp, we didn't have any Mo Hassan conversations. Um, I don't think anyone on the beat was really thinking about Mo Hassan on that depth chart with all the hype for the freshman quarterbacks. And I, I've been to all six practices that have been open to the media, and he's really impressed. He, he, he throws a good ball, comes out of his hand well. He's looked comfortable and confident. And I actually had conversations with a couple of reporters going, is, uh, is Mo Hassan looking like he's like someone that they can actually play this season if needed? And we all agreed, like, yeah, he's he, he looks very serviceable and legit. And yeah. I don't know ultimately where he would have ended up on the depth chart. I still think that it would have been hard to keep Jackson Dart's ascent down. I, th- I think he might have gotten there anyway. But either way, we've seen two of the last three seasons, not last year, fortunately, that short season, but in 2019 and 2018, USC had to go to its third quarterback both years. So that depth does matter. It matters for a lot of teams in the country every year. And now they're they're one short, and they're going to be down to, to three guys, and obviously Keaton Slovis, Jackson Dart, and fellow freshman Miller Moss, who we'll get into. So it hurts, and I, I know that a lot of fans are going to go, well, well, surely they can get in the transfer portal and get somebody in here. Well, no. I mean, quarterbacks only transfer to find more playing time or better opportunities. No, no quarterback is transferring to come here to be the third-string or fourth-string quarterback. It's just not going to happen unless it is a, a Mo Hassan-like guy who is a walk-on somewhere else and says, man, I could be a part of the USC football program. You know, Even if I get nothing out of it on the field, that's worth it to me. I'm going to make this move. That's the one route they could go. We'll see. But uh, otherwise, they're going to have the three guys, and, and we should get into it. The storyline of, of Saturday for many people was to see Jackson Dart and Miller Moss on the field for the first time. We've seen them in practices this spring, and I'll say what I was really happy about was that it was a true game-like setting. It wasn't this overly thought-out, structured, scenario-based practice where we're doing, we're doing third-down situations for the first quarter and we're doing red zone second quarter. That drives me bonkers every year when coaches do that for the spring game. You know what? Just let the kids play, and you can learn something by watching a free-flowing game and many situations of value will come about, and they did. And it was also a lot more open offensively than we've seen all spring. We really haven't seen a lot of downfield passing in spring practice. We haven't seen a lot of big plays. It's been really muted, and I think it's not even necessarily a criticism. I think it's just kind of 
what they do in spring. They, they focus on the short game stuff and those kind of things. So it was nice to see them really just have fun, let it fly. Uh, sure, there were five interceptions, I think, but it was just nice to see some, the ball flying around, see some big plays. Yeah. So, Max, I've been, I've been eager for your opinion. I'm going to let you roll. I want to hear every thought you have about Jackson Dart, who obviously many thought was one of the stars of the day, and Miller Moss, who certainly statistically and with the eye test had a little bit rougher day, but it's it's just one one spring game, one practice. What were your takeaways? Yeah, it's funny because there's probably some people listening right now say, Max, really your takeaway from the spring game, your number one was about a, a walk-on quarterback who's uh, now <laughs> injured, and I, I should have brought the thought full circle. And the reason that's of intrigue now is because of the Jackson Dart, Miller Moss uh, type of deal. And it's even funnier because exactly how you framed it, uh, Ryan, uh, when you said like the the ascend of Jackson Dart, um, I don't even know if you purposely did this, but like not necessarily mentioning mentioning Miller Moss right away. And I think there's a, that is one thing we learned from this spring game, or I learned from this spring game is the Trojan faithful are going to be on the Jackson Dart train. I'm sorry, Miller Moss, I was the victim of that as well. When you have the flashy, I shouldn't say victim of that, but I was the opposite side of that in that. When you're going up against a USC quarterback that has mobility, has some of that flash, has the ability to uh, kind of make some things happen when things break down, football fans and especially, I think, Trojan fans, because we've never really seen it, right? We've never had a true dual-threat guy, at least in a very long time. And so I think that intrigue for SC fans um, is always going to be there. I mean, I guess you could call Sam dual-threat a little bit, but... Jackson Dart, I think, is going to be the darling for the Trojan fan base unless something happens, unless Miller Moss kind of absolutely like blows things out of the water. But for me, that's how I was when I was kind of going up against Sam. I was the cerebral guy. And by being a cerebral quarterback, you're not going to be the flashy guy. You're going to win the quarterback job because you don't turn the ball over and you might not make as many risky throws and you hit the check down and you're great uh, on the board and you know exactly what the offense is trying to do. You get the vibe that that's Miller Moss's MO and Jackson Dart, where he falls on that, I'm not sure. But I think that's one thing we walked away learning after only two weeks. Uh, and we talked about it in the last podcast. That's how important uh, for these young quarterbacks, if you, have to, if you get out on the right, uh, on the right foot, you might never look back, and you could and you could uh, beat the other guy out. And to bring the point full circle, I think that's one thing I did notice about both those guys is early on they operated with confidence. It might not have been perfect. Miller Moss might not have had a perfect day. Jackson Dart didn't have a perfect day. But what I loved, and I was very, uh, I made it a point to watch that first drive and how are they walking out of the huddle or the the the, the figurative huddle kind of thing. And both guys were confident, and that's not how you always see it with true freshman quarterbacks. Recent memory, guys that I played with at USC, sometimes they get out there, you can tell they're flustered. You can tell they're thinking a million uh, a million things a minute. I didn't get that sense with both those guys, which is a great sign, especially if either one of those is called upon uh, early on. Both guys threw the ball really early in their first drives, which shows me that they hey, they're just back there ready to sling the rock. But to the sentiment of kind of how you said it, I agree with it. I do think... Jackson Dart right now is the more intriguing prospect as a result of some of the throws he made, even with some of his high school career a little bit. You just get the sense that he might have um, a higher ceiling than Miller Moss. But once again, as I say that, having deja vu, and I'm sure this won't be the last time I bring up this comp, but Trojan fans, think back to Cody Kessler and Max Wittick. Max Wittick was the guy with the strong arm, modern day high school. It's the perfect replacement for Matt Barkley. 
I mean, like that was kind of the, the the guy and Cody Kessler, a big a big recruit in his own right, like a Miller Moss, but didn't necessarily have a super strong arm. wasn't mobile necessarily. Uh, didn't was ha, didn't have flash to his game yet. Uh, and I know Kessler nets out with SC fans differently, but he's got many records and was very productive at USC. And so we'll see how this comes out. But overall, I thought. Uh, I'm good with where both those quarterbacks are. Could have been better. Love the confidence early on from both of them, but leader in the clubhouse for me right now is Jackson Dart. Yeah, so I'm going to say two things that may sound contradictory, but I think that they can stand on their own. I would caution fans not to read too much into Miller Moss's performance Saturday. I've watched the kid throw a lot. He's, he has a great arm. I think he's going to really kind of find find his rhythm as time goes on and maybe a totally different quarterback in August. Remember, he didn't play a senior season. He hadn't played since his junior season in 2019, like like really played in a game aside from seven-on-seven seven stuff. So we kind of wondered what the toll would be for those guys who had gone that long without true competitive football. And I haven't really taken a, a true accounting across the board to see who's been affected by it, who clearly hasn't. But uh, that could be a factor, especially for a quarterback. Anyways, um, I would say don't form a final conclusion judgment on Miller Moss based on that. But at the same time, I will say definitely do read into what you saw from Jackson Dart because that's the guy that I saw in high school uh, at, at Utah when I went to watch his state championship game. That's the guy that we've seen in flashes in practice. And I would say that was his best day of the spring. He had a great red zone series last Tuesday where he had a great throw on the move from off-platform, almost a sidearm, just rocket uh, to a walk-on tight end, Sean Mahoney. And then he ran one in for a touchdown two plays later. That was his best practice until that point. But then to do it in the Coliseum with a TV audience, with some fans in the stands, and to make some throws that were really just right on the money that 26 yarder the michael jackson that was a one, nice one-handed catch down the sideline but just just really dropped in perfectly over the defensive back and right where michael can make a play on it and then of course the the closing play the touchdown the michael jackson third that was uh, again as great of a catch as it was a throw but just a a great connection there and just a real confidence in his receivers saying i'm going to throw this where only michael jackson can get it and I'm confident he's going to get it, and it worked out. And, and they're roommates, by the way, so that's a nice subplot for, for that connection that we'll see a lot in the future probably. So, yeah, I, I agree that Jackson Dart is ahead. Obviously, USC is not going to come out after spring ball and say Jackson Dart's the number two quarterback. They're going to play this out through the summer. We'll see a lot more of Miller Moss. But I, I would expect that when the season opens, Jackson Dart probably is that guy. And we'll see if that jockeying for position – kind of becomes a, a permanent foothold for him or or if there is going to be some more suspense between those two moving forward. Um, before we get back to them, Max, take me back to your first spring game and how important did it feel to you at the time and did those nerves kind of sink in for you or what was your mindset? Yeah, no, great question. Definitely had nerves, definitely was uh, aware of the fact that this was kind of my my first USC appearance and I also think my scenario was different in that I – was competing for the starting job at that time. So I, there was uh, a sense of, yeah. I, uh, the, the ur- sense of urgency was on to perform right away in that game. Uh, and there's, you, you were battling out for the starting job. And I'm sure Jackson Dart Miller Moss 
have their own kind of internal competition that they're that they're jockeying. They know the deal with the backup quarterback, and um, I guess now where things stand with Mo Hassan being out, they they know the deal. So I'm I'm sure they're taking a similar mindset. But uh, yeah, I'll never forget deep post touchdown to Nelson Aguilar's first touchdown I threw in the Coliseum. Uh, we hadn't practiced before then. A big. Uh, Play action left, uh, set up behind Zach Banner on my right, and threw it. I'll never forget that. It was uh, an awesome experience, and obviously Nelson's made uh, quite the name for himself, but was uh, a really cool experience. Yeah. And I think you hear it on the TV copy. I heard Yogi Roth mention it, and maybe USC fans were numb to it at a certain degree, but when you go from the practice field to the Coliseum, it's a big difference. And I don't think that's the case with every stadium. I didn't feel like that at Pitt, to be honest, because obviously, like Pitt doesn't fill out, the, fill out their stadium. Obviously, you notice going to a bigger, a bigger venue, but it wasn't like a night and day kind of change necessarily versus the Coliseum. That's quite the atmosphere. I don't need to tell USC fans that, but I think showing out in your first experience there when the lights are on, there's a reason Clay Helton makes a big deal about it. Every USC coach has made a big deal about it because I think they know the significance of it. So sure the ner- nerves were going on. Uh, and one last little thing to, to point out about Miller Moss, and maybe this is me reading into it too much, but I've also, at my time at Pitt, we did do a fantasy draft, for lack of a better term, spring game. And you have to draft the quarterbacks. And let's say if Keaton Slovis is the first pick, and let's assume since Mo Hassan started for the other team, that Mo was the second pick, then by snake draft rules, that means the coach, which I believe was Todd Orlando on that side, he would have taken Miller Moss over Jackson Dart. And that's obviously splitting hairs. Don't quote me on that to be the case. But they had two weeks of data to go off of in spring ball. And just knowing how drafts and those kind of things work, I would think that Miller Moss within that staff was ahead of Jackson Dart. And who knows? And to bring it full circle once again, don't forget, Trojan fans, uh, before Max Wittick started over Kessler many years back, Kessler was the backup to Barkley because he was more cerebral and he knew what was going on at a higher level. Maybe his talent level wasn't as much, but it doesn't necessarily always have to be the fastest, strongest kind of guy out there it's the guy who can run the offense and knows what's going on so I echo Ryan's point in terms of don't uh, don't read into this too much there's a lot of off season left to go before a uh, a true decisions made at the backup spot yeah no for sure and, and just knowing Miller Moss and his personality I have no doubt that he was probably unfazed walking out of that I don't think he walked out of that and was like damn I can't believe I didn't have a better day and, and Jackson all these accolades I, I bet he's not really dwelling on that very much because he's a big picture guy he knows there's a lot of time left but what you saw from Jackson Dart in the Coliseum on Saturday I don't think was uh, surprising or anything that he will not build upon and replicate moving forward so I would definitely uh, look at that as a tease of what's to come in the future I mean th- through spring ball through the, the three weeks so far their reps have been pretty equal. The second team, Keaton's taking all the first team reps. Those guys and, and Mo had kind of rotated with the second team. And like I said, just there weren't a ton of big plays to really differentiate anybody with. If I had to say going into it, and then I wrote, I wrote a column on Friday about the 13 newcomers and what we'd seen, and I did say that, that Jackson was looking a little ahead. But it wasn't like a night and day thing because it just hadn't been a lot to go on. Miller had a couple interceptions early in camp Jackson had lost a fumble and, and taken more sacks just by holding on to the ball longer big plays there really weren't that many to recall upon to to really vault one ahead of the other 
until that Tuesday practice last week when they did the the goal line work, and we just saw the command that that Jackson had in that series to get it in the end zone uh, twice in the span of three plays, and uh, just really impressive. And you touched on this point earlier: his mobility, his dual threat side of his game is is legitimate. And we, we, I saw it in high school. I went out to that state championship game. He is a a bruising runner. Like he is not afraid to take contact. He likes to to run. He likes to fight for the extra yard. And I was curious how much of that USC would want to tap into. And the more I've seen this spring, I just and it wasn't so much in the spring game. Just the more I've seen this spring, I think that they're going to be open to it. If he gets on the field at some point, again, we hope that Keaton plays all twelve games and vaults his draft stock to to all time high entering uh, coming off next year. But if Jackson Dart gets into a game at some point, I think they're going to feel confident and uh, want to leverage what he can do with his legs. Without a doubt, and don't forget, he's only uh, a senior in high school technically, or I guess technically he's in college, but he's a senior in high school, so his body's only going to mature more, and that physicality nature, uh, or physical nature to his game will only uh, increase from here. Let's talk mechanics real quick before we move on. Did anything stand out about either guy's mechanics? And, and I'll, I'll bring it up with Jackson, that he, he has that, I guess it's becoming kind of a thing now with quarterbacks these days and I'm sure something he practices a lot but he can really throw can throw kind of off balance can throw from different arm angles and the one time we saw it in the game Saturday was actually on a play where he was whistled down for a sack obviously quarterbacks weren't tackled so the whistle had gone off for a sack but he still got rid of the ball kind of off balance and chucked it pretty far down the field trying to find uh, Michael Jackson the third I think it was down the seam uh, did anything stand out to you about either of their mechanics? Any comparison or contrast that, that was just super noticeable to you? Yeah, what stood out is they're both very clean. Um, so nothing in, in one way or another really sticks out. I think they're both very smooth. You get no sense of uh, uh, being robotic, which sometimes when a quarterback's cerebral in Miller Moss's case, the next word that can come up is maybe, hey, is he a little too robotic kind of thing? I got none of that. Both are very smooth. Um, I think they both can drive the ball when they need to, but then we saw uh, in the spring game they both can throw with touch as well. So fundamental-wise, I think Graham Harrell goes to sleep at night saying, I just don't need to mess with these guys. I'm, I'm good to go. Obviously, you coach them up, but uh, they're both very clean. And, and again, you know, we're, we're harping on the positives for Jackson Dart. Maybe we're playing up the struggles for Miller a little bit. They both threw one pick, and they, it was a bad pick for both of them. So – uh, they both had one of those freshman passes that you, you'd like to, to have back and, and learn from for sure. So it wasn't a, uh, a flawless game uh, for any of the quarterbacks, but definitely some things to like. And, and we're going to get more into the offensive line, but they were playing behind hodgepodge, mix, mismatched offensive lines. It wasn't the true first team or the true second team, and we'll break that down further. But there were a lot of times where there wasn't a lot of time to work in those pockets. So for a freshman going through for the first time, I guess give credit to Jackson Dart for, for looking really composed in that. And, and maybe I can understand why Miller Moss might have been a little phased by the pressure at times and, and maybe couldn't get into a rhythm. But uh, it, it was what it was. Jackson Dart won the day in that regard, and, and we'll see what that means moving forward. But uh, I think he's going to come out of the spring with a leg up, like you said. Okay. Max, let's get into some of the other storylines. And what struck me from the game, what I enjoyed, and it kind of speaks to the tone of the spring camp, 
is that just the the energy, the investment, the buy-in, um, the veteran guys, the guys who had nothing to prove Saturday, were really amped up. We saw Drake London be the star of the day and just dominate with seven catches for 139 yards. And it, you could have watched just the isolated plays, and aside from the, the uniforms, you, you couldn't have told me that that was a, a fall Saturday or, or a Saturday here in April with the way he was fighting for extra yards and doing everything he does during the season. Brew McCoy was amped up to get that touchdown in the Coliseum, even if it was from Mo Hassan, who he might not play with, and uh, in a mostly empty stadium in the spring game. Drake Jackson had one of the best defensive series of the day where he was involved in three straight plays, a batted ball at the line, uh, a tackle right at the line of scrimmage, and then a sack, and uh, clearly a guy that, whose spot is established and locked in, but still felt that there was that there was a moment to seize there on Saturday of the spring game. Did did you get that same kind of vibe just from the, the overall tenor of things? I did, yeah. And I think the, the the player in me is saying, man, these guys have every reason to be excited. I mean, they have a, a quarterback coming who's going to be uh, coming back, who's going to be top of NFL draft boards and Heisman. Like, there is some serious. Um, excitement with this upcoming season, as there should be. But I think a lot of those guys you just named feel like they still have something to prove, feel like they, um, this season, if they go out and execute the way they want, that the the NFL draft's right around the corner. But, uh, no, I think you're you're spot on with that. I also wonder if, hey, fans in the Coliseum for the first time in a while makes a difference, if coming off the uh, weirdest season in recent memory of college football and kind of all just the – it felt like the season ended on a down note, obviously, by like not electing to go to the bowl game and the loss at the end and all that. So then to kind of have this be the, 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 the new start, the kickstart, we're back to some sense of normalcy, even though it's still um, all sorts of whack. I think that's got to juice up players and, and get them excited for, uh, for what's to come. So I definitely got the same vibe. Well, your podcast host here is, is definitely not in the season form because he forgot to ask Max about Keaton Slovis, the starting quarterback. And uh, maybe that's a good sign that we we aren't talking about how the ball came out of Keaton Slovis's hand or any of that stuff that so dominated the conversation last year. Because I, I don't know. From what I saw, I, I didn't see any reason to worry. Did, did, did anything strike you one way or the other about Keaton's performance Saturday? It did, and in, in, in a negative way, unfortunately. I mean, oftentimes... I get the question of uh, from like national reporters and national people who are just coming around to this whole Keaton Slovis hype train. It's like, all right, well, where does he need to get better? And it's always a weird question because he doesn't necessarily have like an area of weakness or there's not like a talking point like, oh, he's got to improve X or he's got to improve whatever. And sure, SC fans can say, oh, it's the the spirals and all that. But it's just an overall kind of consistency. And his first interception, that just can't happen. That cannot happen from a – number one potential quarterback in the country type of thing, first drive and spring ball, like that, it just can't happen. The, the standard is high, but that's the type of interception that it, to, for Keen Slovis to level up, he can't necessarily be perfect nine out of 10 throws and then have that interception because that interception or those type of throws will lo- lose USC a, a football game uh, this year. And it's not the interception itself. But it's just the type of throw. It's literally deja vu to what happened in UCLA, I believe it was, last year. And that read is not a very difficult read. As a quarterback, you can feel the defense get soft. And with the amount of reps Keaton Slovis has had, he should check that ball down right away. It's third and eight. They're not tackling your running back with that soft of defense. And go get him the first down and pick it up. 
And I, may, I referenced it earlier. That's literally exactly what Mo Hassan did um, to, to, to yeah. uh, Keontae Ingram the very next drive. And so I'm, I'm circling in on one throw and one mistake at the risk of, of, of trying to prove a point. But that's the area that over the next five months – Keaton Slovis, I want to see him just become an absolute master. And that's the level I always kind of, I think we've talked about this podcast, is I want to, I want to see him become a master at all, all levels. And that throws the type of thing of that just cannot happen at this stage for Keaton Slovis. And uh, sure, mistakes happen, but that is one thing that I think I walked away a little, a little bummed because I, I, I would hope that uh, as time goes on, those type of throws kind of get out of his system, uh, especially in more of a practice setting so to speak well you know he has had a few interceptions uh in the practices before that too uh one was a was a ball that deflected off john jackson the third's hands uh and one was kind of just a deep heave where i don't think it would have been thrown under normal normal circumstances the play had gone on way too long probably should have been whistled dead but i think they were in some kind of end of game scenario where where he had to get a, get a throw off and heave it down and it was picked off but there, there was at least one more, though, that was a bad decision, maybe two. So I guess what you're saying is that I should maybe not be so lenient on these, and I, and I should be uh, treating the evaluation of Keaton Slovis in the spring the same way we're treating the evaluation of the freshman. <laughs> yeah, but then again, the one thing I can't relate to uh, in my evaluation is going through a spring ball where you know your job's secure, and maybe Keaton Slovis is out there trying to make the tough throws. He knows he doesn't have a job to worry about, so – Hey, maybe it's one of those things where he even levels up more and uh, st- starts to, to hone things in as the season gets closer. But, yeah, I think that evaluation – and that was kind of the point we were making a little bit in the last podcast is so long the tone around Keaton Slovis has been the young guy. He's the up-and-coming. Oh, it's what, you, what an exciting future, all yep. that kind of narrative. Well, the future's now. Like, it's, it's right now. It's this season. This is his junior year. This might be the last we see of Keaton Slovis, so it's time to cash in. All those tokens and tickets you acquired over the past two years, experiences, all that, uh, figures of speech, now it's turned to ca- t- time to cash those in. So um, keeping, uh, keeping the standard high, especially at a school like SC, and especially when you talk about, I mean, Carson Palmer, number one draft pick, uh, Sanchez, top ten pick, Darnold, top five pick. To get into that that category, I still think Keen Slovis has a big step to make, um, and it, it starts uh, it started a while back, but it needs to keep going uh, right now with the remaining weeks he has in spring ball. No, no, it's a, it's a great point. If he's going to get to that that true peak draft potential that we think he has, it has to be with a big year this year. Because if if any other questions are raised this year, or if he doesn't quite get to that level. I think the shine comes off a little bit and, and maybe the ceiling is lower uh, the senior year for, for draft stock. Um, I, I think right now he's kind of on that, on that pedestal as one of those guys that everyone's going to be watching that everyone thinks is in that conversation for one of the early quarterbacks drafted. And if he capitalizes on it, he's going to be there. If he doesn't and he comes back for his senior year, and now there's more questions. I don't know that he can ever get back to that level that he can reach this season. I could be totally wrong, though. I'm not an NFL uh, analyst or GM. That's just the way I see it. I think it's a huge year for him, definitely. Let's segue because there's so much more to cover. We're gonna. This this will be a smooth, natural segue because Keaton Slopes' best play Saturday was that 45-yard bomb to Drake London down the seam, 
and I want to talk about Drake London and his role in this offense. So as fans know this Saturday, and as we know from the start of spring ball, USC has used Drake London almost exclusively on the outside this spring. In contrast to the role he's played the last two years, where we've we've talked about it as being like a hybrid tight end position, and uh, and they've used it to to recruit tight ends, saying come play the Drake London role. Well, he's been playing outside, and I have not truly known what to make of it. Is it because the receiving depth has been thin this spring, and they haven't had a ton of outside receivers? Uh, Brew McCoy was out for the first couple weeks of camp. Kyle Ford's still injured. Uh, Kyron Ware Hudson doesn't get here till summer. Joseph Manjack doesn't get here till summer, et cetera, et cetera. And so it may have just been a convenient opportunity to, to, to get a look at Drake on the outside because you don't – he doesn't need those reps in his other role. He's he's kind of perfected that role. So spring reps there aren't of value to him. So you know what? Let's see what he can do outside. See if it's an option we can go to. But I always come back to the thing of, man, do you want to mess with a formula that works so well? Like Drake London has dominated that in, inside receiver role, just abusing defenders uh, up the seam, over the middle, all that stuff. Do you really want to remove that component and hope that he can replicate it on the outside and then find someone else to do something like that on the inside? So I still think ultimately we're going to get to a point in September where Drake is mostly back in his familiar role, maybe gets switched out there to the outside a few times a game as a different look, but still primarily playing the role that he's played the last two years. Because you're going to have Brew McCoy as an outside receiver. Uh, Gary Bryant's looked really good so far this camp. You're going to have uh, Michael Jackson III has really impressed the freshman this camp. So you have options out there. So my personal gut feels that he goes back inside. But Max, what should the Trojans do? Where where should Drake London be used this year? Where is he of most value? Yeah, it's interesting. My gut feel uh, goes the other way. And I think uh, nice. walking out of the spring game, the question's always kind of, oh, what did you learn? What do you learn about yourself? What do you learn about your team? Uh, if the quarterback position was the first thing I noticed, the first thing I learned was that, hey, Drake Jackson, uh, or Drake London, excuse me, uh, is not yeah. going to be just a slot receiver this year. Um, and I think they're, they are going to move him around. And last podcast, we kind of were talking about that, right? How, the musical chairs at the receiver position and I'll tie in the running back and tight end position because we saw more two back sets and that's going to be with every running back you put in there that's one less receiver that's on the field but I think we learned that Drake London's going to play outside and I think for him or I totally agree with your logic Ryan of kind of hey why mess with something that's going to work but I think I do what I what I do see is if if Kerry Colbert's saying hey this is our best receiver and it's He's played the slot the past couple of years just because that's kind of how things sorted out. But now he's a legitimate, our, our best receiver. And let's go have him have him have one-on-one matchups on the outside and get some advantageous looks against smaller Pac-12 corners type of thing. And we saw uh, Jackson Dart throw him a deep ball uh, in, in, the, in the spring game and take advantage of that. I think we're going to see kind of all the above, inside, outside. And I think... There could be a scenario where a lot of the plays are drawn up for, for Drake London to kind of be the dude, um, like it was with Juju, like it was with Marquise. And I, I don't say that um, about an Amon Ross St. Brown. You didn't draw up plays per se specifically for number eight to get the ball. Number eight got the ball because of how the scheme was going. I could, I could see this offense this year falling into more of a 
hey, let's design things for 15 and have the other receivers kind of flow off of it. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm as thrilled as the next guy about Brew McCoy. I think he is a surefire outside guy, but um, we'll see how, how, how it gets uh, sorted down. You mentioned Gary Bryant. I liked the way he looked on the outside. I know I've seen a couple clips of Katie Nixon out there as well. I think what it's going to happen is they're going to shift kind of a lot of the guys around into different spots, but I think we're going to see London moving inside and outside. And, I, and we talked about this last time. What we will see for sure is much more personnel groups than I think we've seen in years past with the amount of running backs SC has, some of the, and then obviously the, the, the ability to move the receivers around as well. Um, so I got no problem with the game plan, and I think I'd be, I'd be fired up if I was Drake London because it's only going to help his draft stock if he can show that he can go out wide and make some moves there, even if his future is as a uh, new school tight end, so to speak, at the next level. I agree we are going to see him play both. I just don't think it's going to be a full transition. I think that they're still going to heavily utilize him in the role they, they, they did before. But we'll see. And it's, and it's interesting that there are different opinions, and a lot of people are, are in your camp and, and think that what we're seeing is the preview of what's to come. I'm just not totally sold yet because I know they really like Brew and, and Gary uh, on the outside. I think Michael Jackson has proven he deserves to get in the rotation in some some regard. And it's just been a weird spring in that the alignment's basically been all spring to have two tight ends out there, which is clearly not what they're going to do during the season. That's, that's just not, in no scenario, is that their best 11 on offense, to have two tight ends out there. I, I don't think so, at least. I'm Maybe I'm you. totally wrong. So, so I, I look at that as just a, a, a clear sign that, hey, this is experimental this spring. This is not what we're rolling out in September, but maybe pieces of it will be utilized. If you, so had, to, if you, had, to put a, if you had to put a percentage on it, uh, putting on the spot a little bit, in terms of inside uses versus outside usage, what's your gut say right now in April of uh, before the season? Yes, 70% inside, 30% outside. And, and let me also add to that that I have zero doubts about what Drake London can do as an outside receiver. None of my opinion here is that I don't think that he can handle it. I've watched him all spring. He's been the best player this spring. He's been awesome. He's ta- he, he takes every rep and, and every practice and every moment, like the spring game, so seriously. And he just wants to make a statement at all times. And he normally does. And he's shown that he can do it this spring. And he, he will certainly be as much of a terror to shorter cornerbacks as he is to everyone he lines up against uh, in, in the slot. I just think that they don't have an obvious replacement for that dynamic that he brings in there. And, and they can find guys that can be dynamic on the outside and still have the unique thing that he brings on the inside. Now, that said, uh, they do have some slot options. Uh, Katie Nixon, who has played all over this, this spring, but come on, he, he's 5'8". He's going to be in the slot. He's, he's not going to be an outside receiver. And, uh, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, he didn't make any catches in the spring game, kind of a quiet day. Uh, his most interesting sequence all spring was in, in the same practice uh, with a span of three plays. He got wide open about 25 to 30 yards downfield, just wide open, just found a complete uh, pocket in defense. Uh, pass was right on the money, and he just dropped it. And, you, and you're thinking, well, man, that, that's not a good sign. Two plays later, does it again, gets wide open. 
And unfortunately, we don't have replay in the spring, so you can't go back and, and look at it and see well, how did he get so open if you weren't watching his entire route tree. Anyways, gets wide open again, this time catches it and takes it to the house. And so uh, you definitely see the upside of what he can do at, at that role. Also, they got the Memphis transfer, Taj Washington, who's, who's a, a slot guy, speedy slot guy. So they, they have two of those speedy slot guys that they can use. And if you want to go four wide, is it Gary Bryant and Brew outside, Drake in his, in his old familiar role, and one of those two guys uh, also inside? You already, you already or, know I'm or, or all about the, the four wide, all about that. Yes. Uh, that setup. No, I think uh, I think you're spot on in terms of the points you, you ran down. And it f- feels like in Graham Harrell's first couple years, a lot of the pieces kind of f- fell in place in terms of the personnel groups and the rotation and who played where and the, the right mesh and mold for things. And obviously we've debated many times in this podcast about the running back position. So maybe running back position aside. But this year, this is where Graham, I think, is going to really make his money um, because – there's just a lot of different angles you can go with it. And it's not a clear cut, this guy fits in this lane, this guy fits in that lane, and that's what USC should do. No, USC could do a bunch of different things. And we haven't even talked about the running back position, tight end position. I know that's a, a polarizing subject in the uh, the USC community, but you could do a bunch of different ways with that as well. So how Graham game plans that and does it change week in and week out this season will be fascinating. I know this isn't the last time we'll talk about it. Shoot, I'll probably talk about it yeah. every week because uh, I think it's going to be kind of a, a new flavor uh, depending on the opponent and where their weaknesses are and who's playing hot and all sorts of those things. Yeah, that's the ultimate bottom line here is that they do have an abundance of options and it would be it would be a shame if they don't, they don't get creative and don't use it. So I, I do want to see Drake London used in multiple ways and, and used outside at times and, and just, you know, kind of throw the defense off. In fact, his, his big uh, 45-yard catch, he came in motion from the outside, kind of, kind of came back into, into that, that, that seam route that, that's so familiar to him. But he, he had started out outside. So I think we will see both of it. We'll just see how much. And uh, as, I, as I did a drive-by on the tight ends there a little bit ago, unintentionally, I should note that uh, Michael Triggs coming in this summer, and he's – one of their highest-rated overall signees in this class, and a guy that I saw in person, I'm really impressed with. So maybe, maybe he is the guy that that forces him to use the tight ends differently because he is ready to be that kind of guy. We'll see what happens in, in fall camp with him. But let's move on, Max. You did mention it briefly. The running backs. I feel like we have some version of the same debate every time. <laughs> but man, I do. I I truly don't know what they're gonna do now because Mike Jinks is on the record saying we are going to find a true lead back and we're gonna have a true secondary back and we're gonna roll with those guys and everyone else just has to understand that that they had a chance to compete for it. But this is how we're going. We're not having a a, a four way committee. Okay, great. I, I was excited for that. Uh, I've been pushing for that for a while. But now I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, what's he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no obvious answer, because just, just to run down, you have Vi Malapai, who you know that Jinx loves, and the coaching staff loves, and, and I just don't see any way that all of a sudden, as a sixth-year senior, he's not playing. I just don't see it. You have Stephen Carr back as a fifth-year senior. Are they really going to just not 
play Stephen Carr as a fifth-year senior. I mean, I, I just I can't see the coaching staff doing that to Stephen Carr. And after what he showed Saturday, uh, dang, I mean, he, he opened my eyes, and now I don't know if, if he isn't one of the two best options. Going into the Saturday, I would have thought that, that he was not. And then he looked as good as he's looked in my time here covering this team the last few years on Saturday, had the burst, had power, had assertiveness in what he wanted to do. I mean, he had a 26-yard run, but the, but the most impressive play was that, um, that check down pass on third down where he caught it immediately, went in, into zoom mode, got the easy yards, and then without hesitating, lowered his shoulder and pushed through for the last three that he needed for the first down. Just a really impressive play. That burst was there. The power was there. I know the coaches trust him in pass protection. Okay, so I just named two guys who I can't see not playing. Well, they bring in Keontae Ingram from Texas as a transfer. How do you lure a high-profile transfer who put up over 2,000 combined yards for Texas, has played a lot, was a starter there? You obviously lure him in with opportunity and saying, we see a big role for you here. Okay, they didn't tell him, well, you know what, uh, we got, we're going to have four four backs, and I, five backs, I'm not sure where you fit in, but we'd love to have you. No, they told him, we see a big future for you here, a big role. So are they not going to play Keontae Ingram? And he had one of the plays of the scrimmage too Saturday with that, uh, that check down catch and run for 48, 49 yards where he made like five or six guys miss. Okay, so that's three guys now that I think I, I can't see them not playing. Are we going to really do this to Keenan Christian again? Are we going to really do this another year where we just don't play this guy who is the fastest guy on the team, who has more big plays from that position than anybody the last two years while playing the, the least of, of them combined over the last two years, and we're just, we're just not going to utilize those Jets? Is that going to happen? And then Brandon Campbell's is, is the easy one to see as the odd man out, and not because of his talent. He's impressed this spring. He, he's popped. He is a very smooth catcher out of the backfield. He's made some of the, the better running plays uh, in spring ball. One that comes to mind was uh, you know, early on in, in camp, the running game was still looking pretty stagnant, pretty, pretty stuck in the mud. And they were in a red zone drill, and Campbell took the carry that was designed to go up the middle, ran into just a wall, uh, as often happens, but without hesitating, cut it out right, bounced around the edge, and, and outran everyone to the end zone for, I think it was like a 20-yard touchdown. It was really impressive. And so we've seen a lot from him. But, yeah, he's the, he's the one guy I can see them saying, listen, you've you got plenty of time here. Your time will come. It's not this year. But the other four guys I mentioned, I, I just can't see them not playing. So, Max, what's going to happen with these running backs? Yeah, it's sad. My gut thinks that uh, Kenyon Christian added his name to the list of kind of the, no. the, the odd man out. Yeah. I mean, but I guess to, to backtrack it a little bit, when Keontae Ingram announced his transfer, it was bizarre to me right away. It was not a position of need on paper. Obviously, at that time, um, I forget where exactly in the timeline that, that matched up with Marquis Step, but the running back position has been locked in for USC. And Marquis Step had, had already transferred, yeah. He had already transferred. Had already transferred, all right. So fair enough. He was one guy. And it was still a, a loaded room. And obviously, we, we, we weren't sure where uh, Vi was going maybe at that point with six year and whatnot. But this, to me, as you were kind of going down the, the various points, this could be the first casualty, for lack of a better term, of the 
expanded roster or expanded eligibility because Vi should not Vi should be training for NFL camp right now and then therefore you would just say hey yeah. we have three great backs and then the odd man out um, uh, the fourth guy will have an odd man out which that's easier to do now you have five names you're talking about that's hard to do and it's a result of Vi who I mean for fans who like maybe you're like Steve, Stephen Carr too he was a senior last year yeah. so he also benefited from that role Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, good point. Both those guys. And so maybe that that gets you thinking for, for SC fans that kind of what's the deal with Vi? Cause he's maybe not the flashiest of all them. And, and Ryan and I have debated this uh, many times. Here's what I can tell you about <laughs> yeah. Vi. He is a fan favorite in the locker room in terms of a guy teammate, just what he does. And he is very good in the past game. So Blitz pickup and getting out uh, and getting to his check down locations, which sounds basic. Can't tell you how many times I've had to poke running backs in the backfield and say, if you're if you're if backers don't come, make sure you get out in a hurry so I can get you the ball. It's it's sounds simple, far from it in real life. Vi is very good at that, um, and so once again, great problem to have. Bunch of mouths to feed, but. Mike Jenks is one of my favorite USC coaches. Uh, he coached me in my Army All-American game many years ago. But I, 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 I don't believe him when he says that they're <laughs> going to have one starting running back because I know how his head coach is wired in Clay Helton. And I know that the worst case scenario in all of this would be if you had, and this will never happen for Vi, but I don't know the other personalities, if you had some sort of bad vibes or a little cancer in the running back room that then spread to the entire team as a result of guys being unhappy and that whole charade at all. So that's what they're trying to avoid. My gut feels like they're going to fall back into old habits and have uh, try to make everyone happy a little bit, or at least the top three guys. Yep. Like that's, not even, that's not even counting Keenan Christian, the fourth guy. But just those, th- those first three that we mentioned – there's not room for three running backs in this offense. That was the, the argument we had all last year. There's room for two, maybe. It's really one and kind of a, a secondary guy. I think uh, there's going to be some odd men out this year. And uh, I think it's going to be there's going to be at least some segment of the USC fan base that is going to be upset with the running back position. I think you nailed it. And I, I will clarify this i do think that mike jinx truly believed the lead back stuff when he said it i think that he truly believed that, that that was the path and the plan i just think that it's more complicated than maybe they anticipated um and maybe it's 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 getting even more complicated and it's an interesting point about bringing in ingram and was it really a need i just know that they were so uh so committed to trying to land two running backs in that recruiting class and couldn't they got Brandon Campbell and, and couldn't land the second back. So they clearly saw it as a very important position. I think maybe more so, though, just for, for the future depth, because obviously eventually Vi and, and Carr are leaving after this year, unless anything uh, unforeseen happens again. So you, you do need those numbers for the future, and Ingram does have eligibility beyond this year. This is not his last year. So you can look at, at that move and say – that, that maybe that was made more for the future than this year. But I can't imagine a guy like him left Texas. I mean, granted, he had kind of been usurped by B. John Robinson there, but I can't imagine he left to to not 
walk into a, an opportunity to play this year. So it's, it's very interesting. I don't know what the right answer is now, and, and we should say that Keenan Christian has not been a part of spring ball. He's, he's with the track program and, and hasn't been out there. So whether that, help, that hurts him or is a non-factor, I don't know. But uh, tough, tough decisions. All right, we got to cruise through some more topics, though, because there was more stuff to take away from that spring game Saturday. Max, I, I'm going to dive back into the film and watch the offensive line specifically. I haven't done that yet, but I want to get your take because obviously as a quarterback, you know what that's supposed to look like. You can see where the breakdowns happen. What did you think of the offensive line? Granted, it was a just a hodgepodge of first-teamers and second-teamers and guys who really haven't played together all spring. Yeah, I think I was probably more encouraged than uh, maybe a lot of writers or fans were walking out of that game. Yeah, because the the quarterback in me, having experienced it firsthand, what Miller Moss and Jackson Dart went through in terms of you go to spring ball, so much of offensive play is continuity, especially at the offensive line position. And so even if it was the first-team offensive line and it was still just kind of new structure and new coach and all that – I would expect them to struggle even under that scenario just because you haven't had this sheer amount of reps necessarily with this coach, with this signal caller behind you, and just it's a new year. That's just how football works. Offense is always slower to roll. Now in this spring game, you have a hodgepodge offensive line. It's not units. It's pieces being put together. So then that was like even walking in. I was like, oh, man, this can be a long day. And yes, they gave up pressure. But I didn't see just sheer, absolute physical beats, which to me, that's encouraging. I saw guys get, um, like, lose guys at the last second, but it wasn't like guys were just getting absolutely overpowered or absolutely manhandled. And we saw some of that with some of the run plays. Don't get me wrong. It was not a great day by the offensive line. But with how I uh, prefaced kind of the my mindset leaving into it, the ability to get some of those runs a little bit, and when you pay attention to the line of scrimmage, especially with some of the younger faces and some of the newer names that uh, USC fans we, we haven't seen, yes, they have room to grow, but I was at least encouraged that they were in there, they were getting physical, they weren't absolutely getting uh, kind of thrown around. And I think the big biggest encouraging part for me was in the back of my mind the past couple of weeks, I've kind of thought – I wonder if Clay Helton goes to bed at night thinking, oh, crap, I have no idea who's going to be our left tackle. And it's just kind of like Cortland Ford's just kind of the, the guy that should be there because he's maybe a little bit longer and, and he, he's the young guy. And that, that's kind of like the guy that should be it. But if he thinks, ah, oh, man, I really don't have anyone. And I, th- I, I, I was cool with how Andrew Voorhees played. He's not going to be uh, an absolute first-round draft pick. He's not. I don't think he will get drafted in the NFL. But if you walk out there with Andrew Forhees at your left tackle with how he played in the spring ball, you can win games. I think you can win a Pac-12 championship with that. But I don't, I don't think you Whoa. can win a national championship. But I think you can survive with everything else USC has. With And once again, if everyone else is healthy, I think I walked away thinking you can win a Pac-12 championship with Andrew Voorhees as your left tackle. I'm good with that take. That is a that's a, that a scorching hot take. That's hotter than any take that I gave out during our hot take segment <laughs> in previous seasons. That is so, scorching so, hot. So, the, uh, so then, well, I, so then I get that you you disagree. <laughs> so let me uh, let me hear where you're at. Well, no, no, no. It's not that I disagree. I I just don't think we'll ever get to that point. I think Cortland Ford's taken every first team left tackle rep this spring, and I've tried to focus on him as much as possible, and I've liked what I've seen. I think he's uh, he's very strong at the point of attack. 
I think that he may be susceptible to some uh, speed rushers around the edge. There's times where I, I just don't think he the footwork is totally there and he can get beat that way. But overall, he's really impressed me. And I think it's telling that they had really no rotation with the first-team O-line through three weeks of practice. Now the spring game comes, and as Clay Helton said, for fairness, they, they wanted to have two even teams across the board. That's why they did the draft. It was all divided up. So they didn't want one team to have the first-team OL and one team to have the second-team OL. So they, they mixed it up. And here's what it was. So for the Cardinal team, it was Andrew Voorhees, left tackle, Justin Dietrich, left guard, Brett Nealon, center, Gino Quinones, right guard, and Jonah Monheim, right tackle. Uh, Dietrich has been the second-team left guard, and Voorhees has been the first-team left guard. And then the, for the goal team, it was Cortland Ford, left tackle, Jason Rodriguez, at left guard, who's been alternating between second and third team this spring, Andrew Millick at center, who has been kind of the second-team center, uh, and then right guard Liam Jimmins and right tackle Jalen McKenzie, who are the first-team bookends on the right side. So it, it was a mix that hadn't played together. But I, I, I think your comments are interesting because people ask me, hey, can you watch the tape and focus on Andrew Voorhees and how he looked? And it's good to know that you came away that encouraged and that if they are in a pinch and, and Cortland Ford gets hurt, that maybe he is the guy who goes there because Casey Collier, who was not part of the spring game, he was home with his family watching his sister Charlie be the number one overall pick on the WNBA draft in Texas. Uh, he was not part of the spring game. He's been the number two left tackle all spring. I think he's, he's coming along, but I don't know if he's ready yet. And then, yeah, I mean, who is that next guy? So maybe it, maybe it is Andrew Voorhees is kind of their emergency option, and they wanted to see it in action in that spring game. And let me be loud and clear. I am not saying that take if this is Steve Sarkeesian's offense, if this is Lane Kiffin's offense, if this is T. Martin's offense. But because this is Graham Harrell's offense and historically air raid type offenses, and I know this isn't an air raid, but they have the ability to do that if needed, because you have the ability at times to hide your offensive line if you want to, I think Andrew Voorhees can be serviceable enough to get them down that path. As USC was one game away from getting that championship um, last year. So I'm not, once again, I'm not saying he's uh, the, the the left tackle prowess we're used to seeing at USC. I'm not saying he's Elijah Vera Tucker, but I saw enough where, like you said, if SC's in a pinch, they can get creative, they can survive, and the, the roster is that talented around everyone else that uh, I think there's a scenario where they can get it done. Don't get me wrong, they have to be healthy across the board. But, uh, yeah, like you said, hopefully it doesn't necessarily get to that point. Hopefully Voorhees can stay uh, inside at his normal guard position. Or, and don't mean to be hating on the the old established guys, but I think you want to see some of these redshirt freshmen maybe beat out one of these starting guys and these established guys because that would show a lot that of the, fans do that yeah. the program is progressing uh, so i think that would almost be if you're an sc fan what you want it's not what you want if you're uh Voorhees or uh some of the older established guys but those young guys push them and yeah. casey collier Cortland ford for sure if they and ryan you've seen more than i have but if they keep going along let's have them be the left tackles let's move Voorhees inside where he's uh probably more suited yeah, but no, I, I don't think it was totally negligible that he was out there on Saturday. I think that that was valuable film for them to, to see and evaluate. Uh, just just overall, my thoughts on the O-line, I, I do think that, you know, I, I tried to just offer perspective on Twitter Saturday, which is maybe a bad place to offer pers- perspective. I should know that. But I said, you know, every, every, everyone's grousing about the O-line. 
just bear in mind that the, these aren't units that have played together at all this spring. These are not, this is not ever going to be the five you see across the line. So it's maybe not the best evaluation uh, period for that. And then people said, well, the old line's been a problem for years, so how can you say this doesn't matter? I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Tr- trust me, I get it. Uh, it's definitely a major concern. Uh, I wouldn't say it's been great this camp overall, but Saturday was not the reason why I would be concerned about the O-line. Saturday was, I would just kind of kind of throw that aside as, a, as an interesting evaluation tool for guys in some different spots and some different alignments. We got to get going, but uh, real quick, just to close, Max, two things I want to ask you. We have had two major injuries this spring on the defense. Max Williams, who was really coming along at nickel and had been the first team nickel all spring with Greg Johnson uh, still rehabbing uh, from his injury last year, uh, would probably have been in a timeshare with Greg Johnson because I know the coaching staff really likes him. He, unfortunately, tears the ACL in his left knee for the second time. And I just I can't imagine the mental uh, hurdle to face knowing that you went through that grueling rehab for a year and now you got to start over and do it again. And it's just then that being in the back of your mind that, man, is this going to happen again to me? I feel so bad for Max Williams. Really tough break. And then Brandon Peely, uh, torn Achilles tendon, which is just a really tough injury for a big guy, for a big D tackle, and a guy that was really just locked into a starting role there. He was going to replace Marlon at, at the nose tackle spot. Uh, I mean, Vic Soto didn't even mince words. He goes, it, it certainly should be his job to lose. It was kind of the opportunity he's been waiting for in his career to be that full-time focal point guy there. And now he's out, obviously, for the season, and, and who knows what his football future holds. So on a personal level, two devastating injuries. For the defense, what do you think is the is the ramification there? Just to let the listeners know that they have been watching uh, so USC moved Isaiah Polamau to nickel from safety to nickel after that injury. I don't know if that's where he would play in the fall if Greg Johnson was out or if they just wanted to get looks at him there and the freshman safeties uh, with the first team because obviously you know what IPM can do at safety. And then at tackle, uh, freshman Jay Toya, I think, has, has been the name that would uh, impress the most from the group that would step in and re- replace Peely. Max, your quick thoughts on that, and then we will get out of here and close the book on this podcast. <laughs> quick thoughts. Uh, I guess quick 10-second thought before. If your offensive line, better last point, if your offensive line was dominating the defense line in a spring game, that would scare me way more because your defensive line should always dominate a spring game. So food for thought there for SC fans. In- but back, in- interesting. interesting. Yeah, but back to, the, uh, back to the defense. I mean, Ryan, we talked about it in the last pod- podcast. Brandon Peely was – a top five uh, name in terms of entry. I would have put him top three in terms of, hey, who are you yeah. circling this spring in terms of keeping your eye on? It felt like everything was in line for him to have a great season and uh, obviously devastating news for him personally. But that to me is in, uh, injury, excuse me, that's most concerning because it's a position where you have to have depth. It's a position where you want older, experienced guys in there just from a physicality nature. And uh, Brandon Pilly was right there. So that. That, to me, is the one that over the course of the season, we might not necessarily see it the first half of the season, but as injuries happen, as guys start to wear down a little bit, that could be a spot where uh, 
where uh, you're, you're, you're concerned a little bit. But so far, from what I'm seeing, I'm encouraged by the other guys coming in there. You mentioned Jay Toa. Still excited about uh, Shopshire as well to see what he can do in terms of another body. So I think SC's going to be fine, but that's one uh, that's a little bit lost for me. And then secondary position, this to me, I'm fascinated to see how it, so, so, uh, how it sorts out because there's tons of names that can play out there. There's only four positions. I guess five if you count nickel, but I'm going to say four standard positions Actually, I'll say five because they, they hang out in nickel a lot. But how do you rotate that over there? To me, Isaiah Palomao is a pure center field safety. I don't see him as a nickel. So far, he's playing well there. You get nothing but great vibes there. But that, to me, is an interesting move because then that changes the other responsibilities for their guys. And um, if you're Todd Orlando, is that nickel spot, uh, the Talanoa Hufunga spot, so to speak, is that a spot where he does a lot of his unique blitzes and it becomes more complex? And so you have to have a guy there that's more experienced and that's the reason um, that Paolo Mao's going mm. there? I don't know. And so all those type of decisions, do you go more vanilla on on defense in terms of coverages to keep uh, the starters where, they, where they're used to playing? All those factors come into play, um, not to mention the different corners in, uh, that you can go, assuming Chris Steele, obviously he's locked down there, but... Do you go um, ITS or uh, some of these other guys that are getting in there as well? That to me is going to be fascinating to uh, to to kind of follow. And I, I think I've seen a bunch of spring balls in the past. I think the coaching staff uh, this is going to go into fall camp in the secondary, and I think they're going to have to put a, a shot clock on themselves, so to speak, and say we have to start making decisions at a certain time because they're going to have multiple guys that can play that can be great. And uh, it's a great problem to have in terms of depth, but I think it's going to come right down to game week in the fall in terms of how exactly it's going to going to sort out. If my gut had to put my money worth somewhere, yeah, I guess the only two guys in the secondary that are locked in are Chris Steele at uh, at his boundary corner spot and IPM uh, somewhere, whether it's at safety or at nickel. I, I do think Greg Johnson is back for fall camp and, and the season, and probably. They start out that way, but what happens if Greg gets hurt is the question. And you, you raised two great points there that I just want to reiterate the thought that maybe they need an experienced guy there for what they want to do blitzing from that spot. You saw it on Saturday, both Polamau and Britton Allen from that nickel spot both had sacks. Both came yeah. untouched on blitzes, and that, that is a, a really favorite tool of Tyler Orlando in the scheme is to use that position in that way. So that's a great point as to maybe why they are looking at him there. I initially just thought of it as more of a, a spring experimentation thing, uh, but I, I think that your point resonates. And then on the D-line, again, you, you kind of opened my eyes because I was on the board saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not – yeah, losing Peely is really tough, but I like what I've seen from Toya, and we haven't seen Ishmael Sopcher yet, the Alabama transfer, who's just another big mass of a human – who will be active in fall camp. I think that there's a lot to like there. Jamar Sakona has been the overachiever of this spring and the guy who really vaulted his stock the most. He's in there. Kobe Pepe is is hurt, but he's, he's another name to consider in there. So I thought, you know what, they're going to be okay. But the, the depth point you mentioned is, is so true that you, you really have to have numbers there. And over the course of the season, is that where we see the Peely injury really uh, loom large? So great points. Great points across the board, great analysis, and as always, just a fun conversation yeah. talking USC football with our resident Trojan sports analyst, Max Brown. Max, enjoyed it. 
It was great. I like talking spring ball because it's just uh, you get out of the weeds of the opponents and all the drama, and it's just pure evaluation. Yeah. So uh, storylines, evaluations. Yeah. Very intrigued to see how Clay Hilton handles this uh, uncharted territory in terms of spring game, not meaning the end of spring ball. It'll be fascinating to see the upcoming weeks. But uh, great chatting as always, Ryan.